to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Um, so, Ireland are back. Uh, they're deadly again. Um, did they completely change their plan, or was this just better execution of the same plan that my cat has always been trying to implement? And either way, why weren't they doing it until now? What's changed? Uh, well, Cat and Farrell have got themselves definitely two years. I think I think they they bought themselves. There's going to be criticism depending on the Six Nations or there's going to be criticism depending on how they do against New Zealand. But I think that with the heights that they hit against Japan, um, they effectively bought themselves two years until the World Cup. Like if they backing up the, the win against England with, um, and there was two matches in between, but <clears throat> with a performance like that against Japan, I think that the signs were there before of what they were trying to do, but there was nothing like the execution. And looking at the, the sort of the shape and the structures, like stuff gets broken down more in the press in better detail, there's better understanding, and you can, and then depending on what sort of email distribution list you're on from a coaching perspective, there's analysis run. Um, about, you know, they play a part of three here and they play a part of two here and um, nothing that teams are doing now is, sorry, not nothing, but it, it's rare that there's anything unique and innovative. It's it's really about the quality of execution and that was uh, what stood out about Ireland's performance against Japan was all of a sudden... The, the quality of execution was uh, almost flawless, like allowing for the fact that playing international rugby and the willingness of guys to to run support lines and run those aggressive lines rather than tentatively wait or rather than try to resource rooks. Um, I think one of the frustrations I had, and I, I often had it with Simon Easterby, but perhaps it was a Joe Schmidt thing, was that we over-resource rooks um, for a number of, uh, seasons, um, but but that that continued, and I think I'm pretty sure I remember. And if I, I could go through notes and try to find out the particular matches where, under Farrell with Easterby coaching the forwards, we'd put in a third man to the rook that was absolutely redundant. The thing was slow. Like, I mean, the, the game was over, or the, the rook was over. Sorry, the attack was over. Let's put it that way. That really all you can do off ball that slow is recycle into another slow rook and then put up a box kick, whereas. The weekend was notable for the amount of one-man clearouts, how quickly the rooks were populated. And I, I, I think that has been a hallmark of um, Farrell and Katz's attack since maybe two seasons ago. But, uh, one match at home against Wales in particular stands out where we resource rooks very quickly and then cleared out very quickly. 
But to put that together with uh, the attacking shape forming up as, as quickly as they could was really, really impressive. Yeah, I also come back to the first thing you said. It's about the execution of it was... Like, a lot of things went right for Ireland. They won a lot of collisions, and I think that is partly because we're physically bigger and stronger than the Japanese. Um, and, and our handling was it was so uh, accomplished, so first-rate. I don't think it's always going to be that good. I don't think everything's always going to stick. Um, but it was fantastic to see them go after it. The nature of that game that they played with a lot of passing in just before contact or in the contact and offloading is that there is there is some sort of risk at, at test level uh, because uh, collisions are, can be very big and stuff can start happening very quickly. But you've got to accept that when you play a game like that, it is a riskier game. There is a chance that things can go wrong. And you can't on the you know applaud it and... No, what I'm trying to say here is you can you can always you can certainly applaud when it goes really right, but the other side of that is if you try and play a risky game with a lot of handling in it, there will be games when it doesn't all go right, and you can't just bitch and moan about it then and saying, "Oh, you should have held on to it. You should have brought them through the phases." Like in this in this sort of scheme of rugby, there is no bringing teams through the phases. It's like it's attack, attack, attack from really all over the pitch. If you consider where some of those line breaks came from, you know, and certainly in our own 22 for the one where Jack Cohn made a break up the middle off James Lowe's pass. So uh, I was delighted to see it. And I think a lot of people in Ireland were delighted to see it. Um, you and I attended the game. The atmosphere for the first four minutes <clears throat> was very much one of frustration and a lot of, ah, for fuck's sakes. A lot of fuck's sake. For every, every time Ireland went backwards. But after the first try... Attitudes softened after the second try. Attitudes definitely softened. How, how much of an impact do you think that performance is going to have on the attitude towards the team, given that people have already started saying uh, it was only Japan? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that there was... Uh, it was a huge win. Like 60 points of five against a top 10 ranked team in the world is a, is an excellent win. We played the we played the same uh, outfit uh, about 4 months ago. Certainly in June. And I think it was 39 31 is that right? Um so that's a I think a 47 point swing. It's an enormous turnaround. Um and so there was a lot of people like it or not that were that were they had they would be ready to have criticised the Irish team, the Irish selection especially, if it if that game hadn't gone to plan. I, I think it has a huge positive impact on Ireland because that is the sort of rugby that Irish people want to watch. Irish people want to see offloads, they want to see attack. Like everybody, everybody wants to watch that sort of rugby. It was really, really good to watch. Um, but the pace of it, the attacking intent... Um, like it wasn't ugly rugby. It was it was fast rugby. It was handling. It was taking risks. It was the, the upside to it is so high if you were able to put that together. So that people will respond to that. The All Black match is a sellout, but it was it was a sellout before the Japan match. So and the Six Nations is going to be a sellout, and the Argentina match is on on a Sunday afternoon. But I think 
there's going to be people will walk off the streets to go to the Argentina match. They're going to organise themselves to go to the Argentina match. That mightn't have gone as a consequence of the the sort of performance that Ireland put in at uh, against Japan. Now, like, how many people is that going to be? Like, is it going to be six thousand people or is it going to be six hundred people? Like, it's probably going to be closer to six hundred people, but people are going to start going to it in the same way that you've seen with the Irish football team. That like people are kind of going, this this is all right. <laughs> like, I'm not expecting the world here. And there's slightly higher standards expected of the Irish rugby team because there isn't the same competition out there. But like if you see them play like that, you go, oh my goodness, they, they can play. Um, I think it was noteworthy that it was pretty much a first-choice selection. He was lucky in that there was, there was very few injuries. Um, but he's... He, he had to move around a few things to make that selection happen. And what I mean by that is like Porter's the most obvious one, that he's moved Porter. So what I what I wrote down, because I was kind of curious as to what we like how do you how do you put that performance in context? What's the reaction to the Irish? And the note I have for the match we played against Scotland, which was on the 14th of March, uh the one that we won. Um, oh, Sexton kicking in the last Sexton minute. Kicking the last minute was from 24-10 up, you knew Ireland would contrive to give up scores and make life difficult for themselves. Baird and Henderson forced a penalty, which Sexton took very well, but it was another unconvincing display from Ireland. So whatever you want to say about the standard of opposition and the context of the game, it being like a November test rather than it being a Six Nations match, it was an incredibly convincing display. And then the next thing I've written down is how well balances the selection and have one old prop at loose head with two excellent props vying for a tight head, a hooker who can't throw on the bench but is a better rugby player than the man starting ahead of him. Second row is strong, Byrne is best suited to six, bringing a physicality we've lacked there for nearly 10 years. Right, so if I take each of those points, which I thought at the time, and I don't think I was speaking in a vacuum, he moved um, Porter over the summer to where he was selected at Lions tight head uh, to tour, and people have been talking about it, people. Like, no, people. Carl, people. People. All these people. People. Since the Six, Six Nations last year, when it sort of got floated up about, like, we have to put Porter at right, Loosehead to get them on the pitch. Ernie's young fella or Peter Porter. Ernie's young fella at Loosehead to get him on the same pitch as Tyke Furlong at the same time. Um, and they did that. Um, Kelleher wasn't being picked for the Six Nations last year um, because Herring's throw was really good. But it was kind of, you, you could see from the note there, like it was obviously he was a better rugby player. Um, just his darts weren't as good. And then Tyg Byrne came in ahead of Omani, which was kind of unthinkable under like Schmidt that Tyg Byrne would get a chance. And like Omani was seen as this totemic, you have to pick him, you have to pick him. He was the captain. And you certainly make an argument that he should have been captain at some stage ahead of Sexton. But that, that again, that's a different conversation. So Porter's moved over, which is the most obvious one. Um, Keller's picked ahead of Herring, and Herring's just dropped off completely. And Tyg Byrne now switches between five and six if. Henderson has dropped. And you, you still have Omani in there. But all of a sudden, like, Omani is... Um, he still covers six and seven because he's really good 
in the lineout, and he's really good for the squad. Like the guys respond to him really well. Um, he's good to have, and I think this is important for the World Cup. Um, but you've just got this team of athletic ball players, carriers, um, where you're not you're not really carrying anybody in in the pack and trying to hide them from receiving the ball and like slowing up your attack. Because Keen Healy just the, the wheels came off as a starting prop as an attacking force um, compared to last season compared to what he'd done beforehand. He just too often he get tackled behind the gain line too easily. He gets stopped. He's just older. He's just got like so many miles on the clock while still being like an incredibly good rugby player. And Herring was never Herring's just not a good enough athlete to dominate at that test level while being a very good, accomplished, technical performer. And Farrell's just made the decision to go, I'm just going to pick the best athletes. I'm going to get them into my team and then I'm going to trust that they can play football. And as a coach, it's a, it's an, it's his risk-reward profile might still be the same, but his reward is, is higher. If he got, like, because you could have a match where... Tyke Byrne is too light playing in second row and Ronan Kelleher misses four or five lineouts and oh, why do we pick him in the forwards? You know, he's too... Our scrum got destroyed because he's too light and this guy can't throw. And hey, that might happen. And it might happen in a World Cup quarterfinal. But he's... The upside is we can just play it faster and harder than Ireland could ever play before. Yeah. Across, and that, across the, the entire pack are the of the starting pack against Japan that is they're all in in their 20s which is just a great age profile i think it's uh O'Mahony on the bench is a good fit as uh Farrell called him out by name as somebody you know who's really good in the, not not just on the pitch but in the dressing room around the dinner table just in camp he's a big influence on the team probably that's that's where his biggest influence is at this stage of his career, compared to what other players can do on on the pitch, you know, as a six, whether that's Darius the other day, or whether it's uh, Coombs or Tygburn. And you know, I was thinking, I was thinking just with reference to Hendo. Hendo did extremely well off the bench against Japan. He was great. I thought he was the best for our subs. And I was thinking to myself, oh, well, he's done enough to to switch out for you know he should start and Tygburn should. You know, go back to the bench, and I was there going, "Well, why?" You know, like the point of the all, like the the point of having those guys and calling them finishers, as Eddie Jones did a number of years ago, was like the game is going to be in the balance and twenty minutes when these fellas come onto the pitch. When you bring on Key and Healy, Peter Manny, Endo, Conor Murray, Keith, I was like, all these guys with shit loads of experience. Like there's no, there's no need to say to Hendo, you did great. Now we're going to put you in the starting chase. So you did great. You know it's a twenty-two man squad. We're going to use you off the bench in the same way. Do exactly what you did the time before. You could win us this game. Game is going to be in the balance. You can either be coming on when the game is in the balance. You can be coming off when the game is in the balance. The a lot of commentary about the selection beforehand was about the overwhelming uh, number of Leinster players. Do you think that selection was? Um, actually pretty much close to his first team selection and uh, how closely do you think it resembles how Leinster play? Well, it could have been more Leinstery. 
if, if well, answer my question. No, no. <laughs> you could pick Robbie Henshaw. Robbie Henshaw is going to be available for the next game, but like that would have been even more Leinster. Like, and Henshaw was our best player for the back last season. Um, what was your question now that you asked me? Um, given the 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 way the matches fall with New Zealand coming next and Ireland haven't played an international match since the summer and that those were lines depleted squads. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was his first team that he picked or do you think that was a selection for Japan and they're, they're, they will um, <clears throat> you know, shuffle the deck against New Zealand and bring in more experience? No, I think that was the for, I think that was the team he wants to pick. The the team that uh his more or less his first team, yeah. Yeah, I think I think more or less his first team. I think that where he has options are Henderson, Murray, Henshaw, and Balakun. Um and Earls. Um but I thought the wingers, a, sorry, I thought good, the wingers were, Stockdale. were outstanding though in against Japan. I thought, yeah, I thought they were, and, and Stockdale, and I, so like the, the, I, I mentioned three wingers there, and you just said that the, the two wingers were outstanding. So he's Ireland have a decent squad now, uh, kind of almost by almost by stealth, because people would people point to how he's. Um, how many guys he's given his first start to. But I think, he, I don't think he wanted to pick Hugo Keane at fullback. I think it kind of, his his hand was forced by how poor Stockdale played. But then once Keane had started playing and playing pretty well, he kept on picking him. Like he, he's, he, he, he went with that decision. I don't know really if he wanted to pick Tyg Byrne, um, just based on what the previous regime and how Tyg Byrne, like he wasn't lamped in immediately. But he's kept picking Tyg Byrne, and Tyg Byrne has kept on playing really, really well. And um, I think Robbie Henshaw was always going to be played, but um, Robbie Henshaw made that 12 jersey of his own. And I think I think it started off, it was whether it was going to be Gary Ringrose and one of two, if not one of three, like if McCluskey had a particularly good one, and the two lads were injured. But realistically, Henshaw and Aki, to where it went to be, it's going to be Robbie Henshaw and one of... Aki or Ringrose and Henshaw is going to be the one that gets picked and he's going to play first or second centre but he's definitely going to be played somewhere and he's now got Connor Murray as his number two scrum half after after that performance by Jemison Gibson Park because like that's the best Irish attacking performance since like I'm, I'm trying to think Wales and Six Nations when we won it in 2018 yeah, poss- probably, possibly. Probably better than that. Like, it's very difficult to judge games outside the Six Nations against games in the Six Nations. There's a different level of ferocity. And because the games are in a championship, it's just difficult to judge. But, like, back in that, and I go, we had a great win against South Africa in 2017, like 37 3 or so, a huge number. Uh, and we scored a lot of tries in that game. And they had a lot of good players and a lot of world, future World Cup winners there. But, yeah, that game against Japan, gone, is, was really impressive. The second part of my earlier question was, how similar do you think the that Irish performance was to um, 
a Leinster performance given the uh, overwhelming majority of Leinster players in the team. Just it, to illustrate what I think is different about it, like the majority of Leinster's tries go in from two yards. Bash your turn. I, I thought it was far more ambitious than what Leinster have played under Cullen and Lancaster over the last two seasons. So you you said it. I mean, I, I commented with um, someone watching around this time last year. I just said, like, look how much Leinster kicked the ball and look where they kick it. Like, they they might go through a few phases 40 to 40, but they usually just kick it and get field position and then bash it up from inside the 22 and really have, pl- have played like that for, like, two seasons. Now, with the law changes, you are discouraged from trying to attack like that because the turnover, if you get held up over the line... Um, you, it's you just drop out. It. It's, yeah. it's a drop out. It's it's not like you get a five meter scrum and it's just a case of going again and again. Like it's whole game changes, um, and you have to be able to attack from the back. And Leinster haven't played with that degree of ambition for a number of seasons, really, since they became such bulk suppliers to the Irish team at the same time that Schmidt was coaching them and it was too hard to integrate players back in mm. from playing a very attritional, structured, demanding game. Leinster changed their game to match Schmidt's Ireland and did it, did it successfully and won a Heineken Cup doing it rather than attack as they did under Lancaster's initial season. 16 and 17. 16, 17 was, yeah, yeah. That's right. And uh, the other thing that happened to Leinster, and certainly did happen to them, because they would have preferred not to, was the renewed or a new emphasis on protecting the jackler, rewarding the jackler early. Like Leinster used to be able to faff around in the middle of the pitch going through loads of phases and like pulling the ball side to side because they could just retain the ball through you know, 25 or 30 phases. And then it was the... Uh, the season restarted with different laws. It was like the COVID season restarted. So you're finishing off the end of the COVID season. There was new laws in place. It was like, now the jackler, once he got his hands on it and he got a little lift off the ground, it was like, that's a penalty against you. So Leinster decided, well, we're not going to play in the middle of the field anymore. We're just going to play down in your 22. And me grinder it up over from four yards with Michael Ben picking jams. So going back to Ireland then, if you think, that their 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 ploy is more ambitious. Do you think that's a overall and like if I mean and we're extrapolating a lot from uh, one game at the start of a new international season? Is that a ploy just like that's to say we don't ultimately stand a chance of beefcaking a World Cup by being bigger than South Africa, which we're never going to be, uh, or bigger than England, which we're never going to be. So we need to come at it like um, the way the way say like an Aussie team in the in a classic Aussie team would like played with lots of pace or like, like the Kiwis do always play with lots of pace and movements and keeping the ball alive off the deck. Yeah, I think it's a big. I think this is a big holistic change in that. Uh, I think since Farrell has come in, he's tried to. Um, I'm going to just say something stupid, just for the sake of empowered players to uh, express themselves. <laughs> but he actually, I think he is trying to empower the players. I think if you look back on Ireland's big disappointments in World Cups, 
most of them are quarterfinal losses, apart from 2007, which is calamity from start to finish. But in so the most disappointing thing about all the quarterfinal exits is that we've been beaten with a lot of time left on the clock. So we haven't even put in a good performance. We haven't duked it out to the end and got pipped at the post. In three of those four uh, quarterfinals, 2003, 2011, and 2015, we've conceded a try in the first three minutes. So I think that we get to the quarterfinal, and in the other one it was 14 minutes in. We conceded a penalty within the first five minutes. That was against New Zealand. But like, some of those games have been out of reach. Like we were, I think we were 17-0 down to the Argentines after 13 minutes. And I think it was 22 minutes we were 17-0 down against the New Zealanders. So I think that when we get to the quarterfinal, we just shit the bed. Uh, and I mean like really, the, the, almost literally shit the bed. We freeze. So I think that one of, this is maybe I'm, maybe I'm just uh, putting my thoughts into somebody else's head or my framework of thoughts. I think he is genuinely trying to get the players to to express themselves and not to be so timid and not so prone to going into themselves, not so prone to freezing. I see it. Um, I see it the same, but probably in response to a different question or the same question answered in a like. Uh, what I think is a different answer. I wouldn't be too concerned about the... I'm concerned about the World Cup, but I'll deal with that separately if you'll indulge me. But in terms of what Farrell is like compared to previous coaches, I think that uh, Kidney was like was like Dorian Gray with his kind of his team. So go back to the way that Farrell has picked his team and he's kind of aggressively gone after it. I felt that Kidney defensively held on to it. So he came in, he won a Grand Slam in his first season, and thereafter, that was his reference point. He always wanted to go backwards to that Grand Slam team to the extent that he was still picking O'Gara over Sexton in big matches, even after Sexton had won Heineken Cups, Cups, plural. He was still picking John Hayes like when like when Hayes was just gone, like the legs were gone. He still wanted to go back to that Grand Slam winning team. I think with Joe Schmidt, the different, like Farrell's a Northern Hemisphere coach and I don't think that Schmidt had the confidence in the Irish skill set to encourage offload. And I think he just looked at it and went, like, these guys aren't good enough to do this. Uh, we're not going to do it because they're not the All Blacks. Like, they, they don't have the skill set. And go back to that idea of risk and reward and I think that Schmidt is a, a risk-averse coach and that he was a really, really good coach and you'd always get really, really good performances out of his team with the exception of his final season for Ireland um, when they tensed up. Whereas, like, what Farrell is doing is riskier and this could well go wrong. Like, I mean, go back to the idea of picking a two-light second row and the hooker who's not really that good, like, missing four liners. That can happen. But the upside with Farrell... And Farrell's approach is—he's—he's he's more risk-seeking. He—he plays a faster game. Is that the upside is better? Because like the downside, we've been to the downside all the time. And I think just to go back to the World Cup thing, I on the morning of the match, I was in conversation with somebody who went, "Sexton shouldn't be near that team." And I was like, "I don't really know this guy." 
I'm not interested in having a conversation here, so I'm just going to let somebody else pick this up. And it was only the further away I got from it, particularly after the way the match worked out for Sexton, that I was thinking to myself, like, how in he's doing the same thing that Schmidt did. Like, that was the same problem he had. And the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, like, how insensitive was that? Like, that was Sexton's 100 cap. It was, it was easily the most emotional and the happiest I've ever seen him on a rugby pitch um, celebrating. You, sort of, you want to take that away from him? What, you want to leave him on 99 because, like, you think, who, who should be going? Like, Joey Carberry, Jack Carthy? Like, you want to do that to him? That's nice. And the other bit was, well, hang on, like, Joe Schmidt... <laughs> That might that wasn't the plan. Like the plan was to have Paddy Jackson as the number two and to have Joey Carberry as the number three covering fullback. And Jackson got caught up in a court case and a social media war, and he was never gone. He was persona non grata. And Joey Carberry got injured in the warm-ups. And you want to blame Joe Schmidt for picking Johnny Sexton? Like, I mean, how how can you make that decision? So my point with that is kind of related back to the Omani point. Because I've seen Darcy write about it in the Irish Times. Ireland, for as much depth as we're building, like this whole sort of, oh, the All Blacks do it, and they build up a team, like it doesn't matter. To win the World Cup with a playing base like Ireland, you need to turn up on form, confident, with the right sort of personalities, and you just need stuff to click. And you need, like you need voodoo. You, you, there's... And the best example, the best examples I can think of are Argentina in 2007, where they it just clicked for them. They, they knew what they wanted to do, but the squad got on well. Like they had guys who were good singers. They had guys who were good around the dinner table, good in the hotel, good in the team room. They had a good first 15. They got lucky with injuries and they got to the semifinals and they played some great stuff. Now they put it up in the air and they caught it underneath it, but like that was great stuff for Argentina. But like they ripped France apart in the third and fourth place match mm. in a match that you think Argentina are going to be really tired. And then you look at it and you go England in 2007, France in 2011, like were brutal during that same tournament and still got to the final and could have won it. So the World Cup is really about which team is the best for those five or six weeks. And oftentimes it's the All Blacks because they're the best by far going in or it's the South Africans because they're not that far off being the best beforehand. But like Irish people just want to get past the quarterfinals. Like we don't want to win it. We do want to win it. Like it would be nice, but like we don't expect to win it. So really trying to build for the World Cup two years out with Ireland not by not by twiddling this and tweaking that. I have to say, I saw that conversation about we're talking about the World Cup two years out, as if it was different because like that's all anyone harps on about in in like the, uh, until like for six weeks. Apart from us, six weeks it's bring people harp on about the Six Nations, but like the rest of the time it's like, will we ever get past the quarter final? And and you mentioned a game earlier on, which was us hammering South Africa in 2017, which was the equivalent amount of time out before a World Cup as we are now. And they were at the bottom of the barrel. They were absolutely garbage. and So many of the same personnel, though. Yes. Yeah. So I guess the point I'm getting to ultimately is that them talking about the World Cup this time around, two years out, is... We're going to talk away. It's voodoo. It's not about that. Like it's about, it is about just going to the World Cup, treating it like a tournament, having a good time and doing your best. 
you know, and hopefully you can avoid having like five injuries or three injuries and two suspensions or whatever it was that we had in 2015. Or, or ultimately, they, they, like we went into the last, I love the way I'm relitigating this last World Cup. Let's relitigate. Let's go back to basics. We had an easy group. We screwed it up. But either way, we we're screwed because we're going to be playing the box, the or, box or, the or, or, or the blacks. And that was it. I just want to say something. Um, it's, it's to do with, so I, I think the pack is like really close to being finished. Like when I say finished, I'm, I don't mean like finished as in bad. I mean finished as in oh, almost finished. The good feeling, the end of work. Like we are, we are not short in in two good players in most positions these days. You know, we have more in some positions. Like I look at the eight options. Like even with CJ Stander, you're going who'd been our number eight for about five seasons since Jamie four seasons since he's his retirement. CJ played practically every important game in number eight. He's gone. And all of a sudden, it looks like we have three number eights. You know, Conan, uh, Doris, and Coombs. Now, I'm going to get Doris in at number six as well because that's where he played. Look at the sixes, though. It's like, again, it's, it's Doris, Tideburn, O'Mahony, Coombs. Seven at the moment is Josh. I think Dan Levy's on his way back, knock on wood. But he does look really good at the moment. You, again, you can have O'Mahony there for portions of a game. If you bring them off the bench, I thought he did. I thought he. I think O'Mahony does well off the bench. Does anybody agree? I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I look at the row. The row is where we're like one short. Um, like with three really good contenders, and then Ryan Baird is is a good step down. Uh, and then Tom Hearn is really nowhere at the moment. Um, and then loose head with a like Porter Keane. Killer, Hooker. We have Keller, Hershey, and Herring. Tighthead were a little bit shy. I thought Tom O'Toole was great against America, but America were fucking crap. Like it was like Ireland playing zebra during a Six Nations. Like just a dreadful standard from the opposition team. So I think Beatham's quite good, and I had no qualms with Beatham getting selected against uh, on the bench against Japan because he's playing well. I think O'Toole probably is a slightly higher seeding, but it's sort of about to hear now. Like I like players who are playing well to get recognised. So I think that tight head thing would be great if Tom O'Toole started just like tearing up trees for Ulster or Beelham started tearing up trees. Marty Moore. Or Marty. I, I think the thing about picking players that are in form is that everyone, and, and playing a, like a, a style of rugby that looks really exciting to play in, is that whatever about the crowd and the swing voters and our 600 or 6,000 extra people going to go, is that players are going to be sitting at home going, I'd love to be a part of that. Yeah. I'd love to be part of that 31 or 32, whatever they, whatever the numbers are that go to the World Cup and and go, not, not, not just like, well, I'm close or whatever way people because pro rugby players are people as well like whatever way they think about it and they set their targets but you go no no I really would like I just want to be a part of that and Marty Moore is the I think Marty Moore and Jack McGrath are sort of the missing guys in the front row that it might happen because um, while they're not as good as the first two guys they bring a set piece solidity to it, and Marty's a very good tactor. Marty's very good, full stop. And for a prop, he's he's in the ideal age. Yeah, hundred percent. And you're just there going, you've got to do, 
either cover, put pressure on the guys to start. Like no one wants to sort of think, oh, going as a sub, going as a sub. But like if you're being practical about it, you're going, well, like it's, it's Porter and Furlong. Yeah. Like I don't care. If I go to France as one of the five props with Keane Healy, this is great. And like Jack McGrath is just a set piece titan. And you go, we can go head to head against England, South Africa, New Zealand with those four guys at the peak of their powers because they're just quality set piece operators. Keane's already, like, I was just thinking with Keane's decision to try and play tight head, it's gone really well for him for in these first five games for Leinster. And he didn't obviously have to do it against uh, Japan, but I was thinking he's already basically booked his his ticket to uh, to France in the World Cup. The last time that we went there, our fifth prop was John Ryan, who played about 46 minutes against Russia, and that was it. You're going, John Ryan, nice fella. Um, no, no offense, etc., etc. But like, like last man on the bus in uh, in that tour, and you'd much rather that you're like last man on the bus is a guy who's been around every single shop, and is bringing extra things onto the bus, like experience, maybe two bags full of experience. You know, at that stage, you might have 130 caps or 125 caps. And the fact that he can play both sides, I think that's, I think Keane Healy is already wearing that number 33 jersey on the back of the bus to carry that analogy to its grave. So we're getting, we're getting very excited about the, the World Cup in two years' time on the back of beating Japan in, <laughs> to all intents and purposes, it's a friendly. <laughs> you know, like, it is friendly. <laughs> just like the Honorable Johnny Sexton's uh, Samurai Sword match. But the second it's try like was outstandingly good. And Fiona Coughlin said, I think everybody was involved in that. Absolutely. Yeah, like, and Fiona, Fiona Coughlin, I think like, she's always moaning. And she's terribly negative. Uh, always giving out about this and that. And herself and Hugh Cal between them were in raptures about that second try. As you as it warranted, it could only be. So I rewatched it to go, did all 15 players touch it? 10 players touched it. The defense in the phase leading up to it, which is off a Japanese scrum, was was good enough to slow up the Japanese attack within two or three phases that mm. they had to box kick it. And like that is not Japan's plan. They want to keep ball in play time and they want to keep the ball in their hands and attack. And they just didn't have the option. One of the significant things was how good Tyke Burns' body position was in counter-rooking in the rook that the scrum half uh, kick was a Sagato. Nagare kicked off um, and he'd done the same against England he'd really com he competed really well on the ground and not just jackling but just got himself in made himself awkward bang so Ty Byrne brings that and thereafter Conway caught the ball and finished the try so he was at the end the move went all the way across and all the way back mm, and he mm -hmm. touched it twice Sexton touched it four times and JGP touched it five times during that move and 10 players touched it in total. A famous pugilist once said, uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So Ireland fluting around playing offloads would be great, except when the All Blacks go and punch us in the mouth next Saturday. How do you think that uh, Andy Farrell's happy-go-lucky might finish behind Scotland, might win the World Cup game plan is going to take the uh, stress test of the All Blacks? That is a good question, but I can't answer definitively. I can't answer generally. <laughs> 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 we should I... rename that podcast. <laughs> 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 
what I think is going to happen is that it is, it is going to be a shock. Most of, like a lot of the offloads and things uh, that were 50-50s uh, against Japan and came off, they mightn't come off against the others. We certainly won't win as many contacts as we did against Japan. Like We were physically bigger than Japan, it was obvious. Japan had a couple of big subs they brought on, and Hameno was big by any standard. But we were able to win a lot of contacts, and going forward enables you to get offloads off on your own terms. And also just to pass out of contact, whether it's the two hands or out the back or whatever. So we, when the All Blacks come here, they are ferocious. They hit us harder than anybody, including the English. Um, so we're we're going to be hit hard. We have players who've played against who've played against them, you know, in the relatively recent past, like two years ago, almost to the day. Yes, and that was a horrific tonking. Um, so, like, I don't think I don't think we'll be able to throw the ball around and handle it as easily as we did against New Zealand, or sorry, as we did against Japan. But I don't think, on the other hand, that we're going to go into our shells and go back to uh, in, in in a game plan. Like, we might end up doing it in parts, but going back to looking for contact, looking for the ground looking to retain the ball through rocking. I think we will continue to try and keep off the deck, move the ball either in the tackle or slightly before the tackle. What's striking is how our, or certainly my mind, like my approach to this New Zealand game has changed since we beat them. So we're sort of talking about the way that we played under Schmidt as though... Like the fact that we got tonked in the World Cup quarter final was some sort of vindictive proof, like you know, just the proof that Schmidt Schmidt ball didn't work. Bloody Schmidt ball. We beat New Zealand, like Schmidt beat New Zealand two times out of the, f- the last four times that we played them. We'd never beaten the All Blacks before, never beaten them, and now it's sort of talking about oh, the fact, you know, like it was the approach that we had that let us down. So, just that that alone, that that mindset difference, that we're not looking at the All Blacks coming over here as though. Like, what can we learn from these guys and all that they do, right? And, like, we just don't have a hope of winning, as in, well, we can't play against the All Blacks like we played against Japan and expect to win. So that alone is an enormous difference. I think our props are better. I think their hooker is better. I think their second rows are marginally better. I think they're on the down, but second rows can play for a long time. I think ours are on the up, but, again, second rows can play for a long time. I think the back row is, I think ours is better as a unit, but I think Artie Savea is the best back row on the pitch. I think their halves are better. I think their back three is better. I think our centers are probably better. So it's it's quite evenly, it's quite evenly matched in that regard. I think they're at the end of a long long year where they've been on the road or locked up in camp an awful lot of the time because New Zealand looked like the best well New Zealand was the best people in the class in COVID but it, it kind of looked like you know do you want to be the best people in fifth class or you know when is when is when's the best time to excel at your academic and no one knows like we don't know which way this is going to go but it's meant that the All Blacks haven't been at home for a long time and now they're over here in lockdown and you know what's it going to be like whereas Ireland are coming off the back of a feel-good win with Johnny Sexton getting like the best post-match gift any Irish rugby player has ever got inventing rugby again basically uh, we invented rugby um, 
I'm playing at home in front of like a crowd that hasn't been like a full house for when was the last time we had a full house? Like pre Wales, Wales February February eighth, twenty twenty, which was an absolute monster of a day with yeah. the storm coming in the election day. Yeah. So two and a half years. Yeah. No, uh, it was it was just before 20, February twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like three and a half. Feels years. like three and a half years. Was one and a half years. So the atmosphere is going to be absolutely savage. The All Blacks still have to be favourites for it, but is there as much to play for in terms of the result? Like if Ireland lose throwing a load of punches, is is that not better in a way than winning with five penalties? I will say no. No. And I'll go not. back to the Japan match because I forgot about it. And I can't believe I forgot about it. And I was talking about this yesterday, that when I die in hopefully 50 years' time, on my tombstone, and I think I'll put this in my will, I want to take your points <laughs> to be etched. And at some, was it 21 or 26 or like something like that? points up and it was notable to me the fact that Sexton and Ryan conferred with each other Sexton conferred with Ryan Ryan didn't no, confer no, with no, anybody 19-0 19-0 yeah 19-0 yeah. underneath the sticks uh, Ireland get a penalty a gimme kick and Sexton goes what do you want to do here and like Ireland are going to win this match but you know if, if you don't score at that point Japan get a little bit of a glimmer that if they can throw the ball around and get to 19-7 before halftime and they get to 19-14 just after halftime, they can still win this. Mm. And at 22 nil, there's no way they're coming back. Not a chance. You're, you might... Yeah. And it just, it just gives the story that, you know what, lads, if you give away another penalty, this is going to 25 nil. And I loved it. I went, this is great. Because I've given out about Sexton and Ryan and their ham-fisted approach to kicking into the corner. And sometimes it works out. But your man, Whitelock, I was going to say Southgate, Whitelock, <laughs> I don't know why, just the compass points confuse me. The did the same against Wales when New Zealand were sort of on the up and he just went, we're just kicking it. And they were already far enough that Wales weren't going to catch them. He's yeah. just going, just don't give these guys a chance. Apply, score, apply scoreboard pressure and just, you don't even have to take up the minute, even if you're as slow as Sexton. Just put the ball down bang it over, get back, and just go. If the next penalty you gave away, lads, you're going to be six points down. We're not even entertaining you. And I thought that was huge. So if Ireland win kicking, like, you know, 15-13 with five penalties, I will oh, be I absolutely delighted. I couldn't possibly be happy with no offloads, preferably. If, if, if they just go out and, and, like, have a cut at the All Blacks and swing and attack and really, really go at them, um, it'll be deadly. Because like the crowd will just go absolutely bonkers. And they love the Irish team even more because what Irish people have to realise as a supporting, which I don't think we, we want to admit to here, is like we would, we would prefer to fail with a blood-hungry glory than fail closer with a sterile performance. And to, what I mean by that is like... Munster eventually winning the Heineken Cup was made all the sweeter by the fact that they'd lost so often beforehand, but with such like a with such heart, 
rather than losing in a sterile environment to get an absolutely spanked like Ireland happened yeah. in in two in the last two World Cups. Like and people can say all oh, the no, it's all about the winning. It's not. Not for Ireland. It is like Danny Blanchflower was Irish and he said it's all about the glory. And really, for us as a small country, as a poetic country, it is all about the glory. I mean, do you not think there's an element of just people being like wanting what the thing that they don't have? Because like <clears throat> when we were all boot biting bollock and we'd run out of puff against the English having given them a good game for 70 minutes or 60 minutes, and then we'd be like, oh, we need to be we need to be more professional. We need to bring in structures. And we brought in structures and we we're ultra professional and ground out like victory, ground out of victory against the All Blacks. And everyone was like, yeah, but we'll never win a World Cup playing like that. I, I, I was fortunate enough to be, and we were all at um, the match in Lansdowne Road when Ireland beat New Zealand. And like, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. Like it was, it was a, it was a great match. It was a great evening. Great people were there. Great people were there. But I was also at the match that we lost in 2013 and the match we lost in 1991 against Australia, which had a lot of commonalities in terms of how disappointed everybody was leaving, but how engaged everybody was. And I think that's the, like, everybody left those two matches disappointed. Everybody left from Ireland. Not frustrated, not angry, disappointed. Everyone. That it was, that, but, but, because everybody had got really engaged during the match because it it resonated. Like that's what people wanted to see. Like there was there was there was a fury and there was a, a, like a vibrancy to the way the team played that everyone got engaged. And when it didn't work out, there wasn't people weren't given out. Like it wasn't it was his fault, his fault, and you were all, like it was just we felt disappointed because we were all playing together on that like we were all involved and someone's got to lose getting very philosophical about sports <laughs> here we've been locked down for a long yeah. long time that there, I'd agree with all that somebody does have to lose that team is Ireland <laughs> now that everyone loves Ireland um, does everyone love Leinster because they had a whatever whatever there was 15 players started three of them were uh, were Kiwi imports one new place for Connacht to, and then of the two other Munster players both had roots in uh, coming through Leinster uh, and some, it, somehow it seemed like Leinster got the blame for this rather than the clubs who weren't supplying players to the team getting the blame for it. Um, wh- wh- when are when when are Munster going to pull their socks up and become a, like, you know, not even a bulk supplier, like a, like produce some players for the national team? It's going to be still a lag um, and it's not just it's not just Munster not supplying them. It's it's Ulster as well, and it's Connacht. But there is going to be a lag with Munster. You see, there's certain players coming through. Like I would have been of the, I would have been of the opinion. I am of the opinion that the outhouse you sh- should have selected Farrell should have selected based on on form. Where Sexton at number one, Carty at number two, and Ben Healy at number three. Um, and Does Joey Carby have a central contract? Oh God, who knows? Like I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but I mean, the scene. I would have selected Carby without a shadow. There is no, uh, like, there is no chance I would have selected Carby. And 
you know, I saw a comment from, I think it was um, the independent journalist from Shannon, Ken Tracy, and he was saying that um, oh, it'll be a great time. Oh, now's the time to take sex notes. I have time to take sex notes and bring on Carberry. Uh, on his 100th like, cap. Well, not just that, not just his 100th cap. It's like, why? So, like. Well, this is, the whole, this is what I'm getting at. It's like, do they want charity places in the national team? Is that what it is? No, I just felt in, in that position for like a Carberry to come on. Like, Carberry's not playing well. The idea, like, that you put him into a team which is already like 29 points up and like he plays grand, that doesn't mean, that doesn't make him play well. Like, he's not fucking playing well. And he also has new strapping, by the way. Do you notice he had a big strapping on his left knee? I don't even know his left knee's injured. <laughs> but like, it's like a new thing. But like, I just thought that was, like, this idea that, you know, 40 minutes of game time or the difference between 20 minutes and 30 minutes of game time is going to make him turn the corner. He's been back playing for eight months. Played okay in the end of last season in parts. Like, he played grand in part of the game against Toulouse when they got knocked out. Like for the first five games that he's played in, and four, four out of five games since this season restarts, like just, just been playing garbage. And what you're saying is Ben Healy should have been one of those three rather than having two Leinster and one Munster, and Ben Healy should have been the Munster guy. Yeah, Ben so Healy's like the it, one who's it, played it well. Isn't, it isn't this anti, not Leinster sentiment to <laughs> put a very unusual spin on it. Possibly the only. Anti not Leinster. Does that make any sense? Is that very it's very difficult to follow? No, just I <laughs> I think that I watched Munster play the Stormers and the Stormers played some incredible stuff to oh, go up. Yeah. And then Munster scored maybe five or six unanswered tries. I think it was five unanswered tries. Um most of them from Malt. malls and pick and jams. And Munster were very happy or the the, the common the, the commentary about Munster was very positive and all the rugby had been played by the Stormers and Andy Brace who lives in Limerick or something like that had given Munster a lot of rub of the green decisions which the home team is going to get and you're sort of thinking to yourself how's this going to play when it goes down to Africa Um, and you get blown off the park and and Connacht get blown off the park by whoever it is against you know (laughs) Natal for example, and you're going, oh, poor O'Connor never get anything. It's like, well, you yeah. know, this goes around. Um, and it, it kind of goes back to your question, like nobody is playing in Ireland like Ireland have played against Japan, but the standard that Leinster have achieved over the last few seasons is far closer to what you need to do at international level than what anybody else is doing. And the same kind of criticism but it's not the same criticism at all. So Ulster are also deficient because Ulster haven't managed to win anything. So as good and all as McFarland has has made Ulster, both competitively on the pitch and as an organisation, the obvious thing about Ulster is that they are mentally weak, to use that famous Ronan O'Gara pejorative phrase, that they just, when a big match comes up, they can't do it. They're too cosy. And it'll be very interesting who he picks to play in, because all of a sudden, like Ulster, particularly in their backs, are starting to produce more and more players. And particularly when Vermeulen comes in, 
who's he going to start picking in his back row with more and more players? Like, is McCann going to put pressure on Timoney? Is Jordy Murphy going to put pressure on Timoney? Is Reedy going to put pressure on Timoney? Because they're like, Vermeulen's going to play. So you've got those four guys. Which of those two guys is going to make the other two guys sit on the bench? And then in the back line, they far more players. But like, is Larry going to play well enough that Billy Burns is made to play sit on the bench? And for Ulster, it's always been too cozy. Like James Hume comes up or you know, whoever like the last guy is. And it's always the same old, same old. And maybe Ulster are at the cusp of having that real competition on their team. But, but like, they've never won a big match in 10 years. So that that's not true. They've they've won big matches in ten years, but like they got beat by Leicester last year. They mm, they're, they're always one. getting beat. Well, getting back sorry, getting back to your original question, yeah. which was like the whinging about oh, there's too many Leicester players in the team. You know, I I read a couple. Of, I read well, this is one of the funniest ones. It was in the Irish Times, and it was a, it was a comment saying the the logic behind this is that they haven't sold all the tickets and by picking a team full of Leinster players, that Leinster supporters will go and will go to the Japan game. So, like, if you actually think that you are a fucking stone cold mental buddy, like, and then the other thing is like, do you think Andy Farrell, this like English coach from Wigan, has this massive grudge? They're like, oh, can't wait to come to a spiritual over rugby where a load of posh fucking Dublin schoolboys play. Can't wait to play. He doesn't give a fuck. As he said himself, and as Paul O'Connor said, they don't care where the players are from. They're not doing it to curry favour or anything. If you think that, you're stupid. So, you know? at a simplistic, Munster have to play with more ambition than they've played with under Van Gran, and Ulster have to win something. And if they do, either one of them, they will get a greater share than what we saw at the weekend. They, get, they, they will get an increased share of the players. And look at, look at the players, like... Balakun and Stockdale could start in the World Cup on the wings. Yeah. Marty Moore could be in the squad. Um, trying to think who else might be in there. Hendo Doke. Doke. Yeah. Hendo. Hendo could start. Yeah. Hendo could be captain. Yeah. Um, Doke could be on the team. Addison. Could be on the squad. Addison. Physio, physio dummy. Maybe. So there's plenty of players Hume. there. Yeah, there's, yeah. Plenty, there's plenty of players. This is a sub point. The URC has reduced the amount of matches that are going on every season, and there's no internationals during international. We'll there's have no- a four-part special on this later. <laughs> yes. Tune in next week. So we'll leave it there. Yeah, we will leave it there. All right. Good evening. Have have a good night. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your money. <laughs> <laughs> Adios, muchachos. We didn't even chew any Chris during it. <laughs> <laughs> give us the money. <laughs> That's how professional we are. Go easy now.